What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, here in the Vivid Seat studio, and with me on the other end of the line, recording remotely from law school, is my co-host, Curtis. And today, we're going to run through the last set of questions for our Week 6 Mailbag. This is Part 2 of the Week 6 Mailbag. Charlie and I ran through the first set of questions yesterday. But we want to make sure we spread the love around and get to each and every question that was sent our way. We've got a lot of great stuff for you guys set up the rest of the week. Curtis will be back midweek to record our Tennessee game preview show. It's been a week or so since we got to do one of those. We love getting into the X's and O's with the game preview shows. So now with the bye week over, we're excited to be able to talk about an actual football game. And then Charlie and a guest host will be back on Friday for our week six Picks of the Week episodes. A lot of stuff to look forward to, but today we are finishing off the Week 6 mailbag. we got a ton of questions to get to today. We want to make sure we get to all of these before we have to get out of here. So let's go ahead and open it up here, finish off the Week 6 mailbag. And we're going to start with a couple of questions from Jamil. Thanks for the questions, Jamil. We're going to start with this first question because it's going to take us a little bit longer to talk about this one. Also, it's more of a broad-based question, more uh, national in focus, but we're also obviously going to include George in this conversation. And Jamil asks us, after five weeks of games, let's hear your top 10 teams leading into October. So, Kurt, I'm just going to open it up to you, man, first here. I know this is a, kind of a broad, open-ended question, and there's a lot of different ways you can go with this. And people they have different uh, ranking philosophies, but if you had to right now, heading into October through five weeks of games, what would your top 10 be? Number one, I'm going to go with Bama. Okay. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with Georgia. Okay. Number three, I'm going with LSU. Okay. Number four, I'm going with Clemson. And then I'm going to do Ohio State at five, Oklahoma at six, Auburn at seven. Actually, I'm going to go Auburn at six, Oklahoma at seven, then Wisconsin at eight, Notre Dame at nine, and Texas at ten. Okay, okay, all right. Yours, all right. We actually have quite a different top 10 here. So you, you had Texas at 10 or Notre Dame at nine. I'm sorry, Texas at 10 and Notre Dame at nine? Yeah. Okay, I'm just looking at this so I can compare ours. All right, so Bama one, Georgia two, LSU three, Clemson four, Ohio State five, Auburn six, Oklahoma seven, Wisconsin eight, Notre Dame nine, Texas 10. All right. When you're ranking those teams, how do you go about ranking them through five weeks? Is it who you think's best? Who you, who you think is going to be there at the end? Like, how do you do all that? I, feel, I mean, I think you got to look at honestly who the teams have beaten. I mean, Clemson. So it's the most to deserving a, for you right now. Yeah. I mean, Clemson okay. just struggled to beat a North Carolina team that just got beat at home by Appalachian State. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Ohio State's put up big numbers, but have they, have they beat a winning team yet? Uh, the answer to that question is mm, they beat Cincinnati, but that's not even a power five. They, I don't think they, you're right. I don't think they've beaten a power five team with a winning record. I know they beat Indiana and they've beaten was or beaten Nebraska. I don't think either one of those teams has a winning record right now. Uh, that's and that's my that's my hold up with Ohio State because you know everyone's all on the Ohio State train, but I'm like, this is who they always have been. They put up ridiculous numbers against teams the lesser opponents and then they have a purdue game somewhere or an iowa game somewhere where they just get blown out you're right and i i just i don't know what to make of ohio state right now because 
of all the teams that we, that you mentioned there, they're the one team. I guess you could throw Oklahoma in there too. I don't think Oklahoma's really played anybody. But Oklahoma, Ohio State, I'm looking who else here. Uh, those are really the only two teams that haven't really played anybody with a pulse, right? And yeah. maybe Bama. Like, I, I mean, would you call Ole Miss or I mean, Duke beat the crap out of Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. But I don't think Virginia Tech's very good at all this year. I think Justin Fuente might get fired. So I think you can make an argument that Bama hasn't really played much of anybody with a pulse yet. It's going to happen soon, but they haven't played anybody yet. LSU's got to win on the road against Texas. Obviously, Notre Dame's played us. We played Notre Dame. Clemson, I mean, playing at North Carolina, I guess that's a, like a, a faint pulse there, but they really haven't played much of any. I guess, well, they did play Texas A&M at home. I'll give them that. Auburn's had a tough schedule at this point. Wisconsin's beaten uh, a Michigan football team. Uh, so most of those teams have played at least somebody. But Ohio State, that's not. But saying that, Ohio State has also by far been the most dominant team. I just don't know how to rank them. I don't know how to go about doing this because when you're ranking, you're doing your top 10 at this point through five weeks, it's such a small sample size that it's it's just, you don't know what to go off here. And I'm not sure there's a, a clear like number one alpha team right now. I don't know if there is that team at this point. Everyone's got holes through five weeks and it's also a very unbalanced schedule. Like you mentioned there, it's tough to really rate a team when they haven't been challenged because that's when the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities start to show up. And a team like Ohio State, we just, like they might not have any weaknesses but they also might have some. We just haven't seen them yet because there's been no one. They haven't played anybody yet. The Little Sisters of the Poor, they can't exploit any of those weaknesses and, and vulnerabilities. They don't expose that. And the fact is that some teams have just played a more difficult schedule than others. And it, it also, like how you go about ranking, it depends on your ranking philosophy. Are you ranking teams based on how good you think they are right now? Are you ranking them based on your projection of how good they're going to be by the end of the season? Or do you rank them based on who you believe to be the most deserving team based on the schedule they've played? There's a lot of different ways you can go with that. And that's one of the reasons that I get frustrated with rankings in general because there's no set criteria. Different voters rank teams using different criteria and using different philosophies. But it's just tough. and There's just so few data points right now it's an unbalanced schedule to really definitively say with much confidence, I think that team's number one, that team's number two. But I actually have a pretty different top 10 than you. So you can and you can rip me for this, Curtis. And I I, I don't feel confident saying this at all, but I'm going with them because they just I, ha- I haven't seen a major weakness yet. I am going to go with Ohio State right now at number one just because they've been the most dominant team. But I'm also torn by that because they haven't, like you said, they have not played anybody. They have not challenged, they've not been challenged at all. But they have been dominant. They're plus 1559 right now, 1,559 yards on the season through five games. And they haven't shown any obvious weaknesses yet. I'm not saying there's not weaknesses. There very well could be. We just don't know yet. But uh, they've actually been like, what's impressed me most about them is that they've been really good defensively. I didn't ne- did not necessarily see that coming, even though it has been against baby seals. They're number two nationally right now in total defense, number eight in total offense. They've been the most dominant team. To this point. So I'm really, I have reservations about having them number one, but right now, until I see them, you know, stumble a little bit, I think they've been the most dominant team. Then I'm going to go with Georgia at number two. And some people will probably call me a homer on that, but I'm, so I'm glad to hear you had Georgia at number two, Kurt. But uh, the reason I have us up at number two over Bama, over Clemson, over LSU is that I think we had the best win out of anybody in America. Is it, is it safe to call that Notre Dame win the best win to this point in the season? Um, I mean, I think I have to say, I think the Texas uh, LSU win over Texas maybe a little bit more the road. fact that it was at Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. I just I think Notre Dame's better than Texas, and I I, that, I could be proved wrong on that. And you're right, them on the road over Texas is impressive. So I think you can make that argument that LSU potentially has a better win over Texas, but 
You know, right now Notre Dame's a top ten win. I think they're number nine in the AP poll right now. Where did Texas come in? Did you catch that this this week? Um, I believe eleven. So they're just outside the top ten. But you're right, LSU did win on the road there. So you could make that argument. But I think we have one of the at least top two best wins in college football through five weeks. We have a ninth ranked defense. We also play the number nine team in the country, though. When you when you factor that in there, we're still and despite that. We're still plus 985 yards in the season. And we haven't, I don't think we've scratched the surface of what we can be offensively. So maybe this is a little bit of a projection, but I truly believe that we can play with and beat anybody in America. I think our defense uh, is a top five caliber defense. I think when it's all said and done, we'll be there. We got Jake Fromm, who I trust almost implicitly back there. We got the talent on the offensive line, the running backs. We all, you all know what we have. I think it's very fair right now. You consider what we have offensively and defensively and who we've beaten. I think it's very fair to have us in the number two spot. And I'm going to go Bama number three. Uh, Bama is really good. They're plus 1,146 yards right now. But they're kind of like Ohio State. They haven't really played much of anybody. Actually, I would say Ohio State's schedule and Bama's schedule are pretty comparable. But Ohio State's been a little bit more dominant than Bama has been. Bama has shown some holes a little bit defensively. Gave up, what, 275 yards rushing to Ole Miss um, and with, a, with a true freshman quarterback who's basically just running power straight at you. There were some holes there. Uh, but they have the they had the they had the quarterback, which you got to have to win at a high level. They have ridiculous skill talent offensively. They still have the coaching pedigree. They've been there, they've done that. So Bama is still certainly a major contender. Now I got LSU coming at number four, and this one like I thought coming into the year they would be better offensively, but I thought they would hang their hat on that defense. But it it's kind of been the other way around. They haven't really been dominant defensively. They've been good at moments, but I thought Texas put up way way too many yards against that LSU secondary. I didn't see that coming with Sam Ellinger attacking them through the air in that way. Vanderbilt was able to put up too many yards and too many points against the LSU defense. But that offense has been flat-out dominant. But they have some holes. Like I said, they give up way too many points right now. They don't run the ball especially well, but Joe Burrow and those receivers have been a revelation. I think some of the issues defensively have, have been injuries. They've had a couple guys up front that have been injured, so you got to factor that in as well. But I think LSU is a major contender and a real contender to go into Tuscaloosa and potentially win that game this year. We'll see. Long way to go, but they have a shot to do that. Coming in at number five, I've got Oklahoma at number five. They are – and the reason I have them over – I have Clemson coming in at six. The reason I have Oklahoma over Clemson is right now I think it's pretty clear that Oklahoma is more explosive offensively than Clemson is. For whatever reason, that Clemson offense is not clicking right now. And I know people are kind of wringing their hands over our offense, especially at that Notre Dame game. But, guys, if you've been worried about us offensively, we're actually ranked higher than Clemson is offensively right now. Our offense has been clicking better than theirs has been. And the thing is, like, we're, just, again, just kind of scratching the surface of what we can be offensively. But Oklahoma has been more explosive offensively. Yes, Clemson has a better defense than Oklahoma, no doubt about it. Oklahoma is actually – they're vastly improved right now through – I think they played four games. They're ranked 47th nationally in total defense compared to 114th last year. So we'll see if that holds up against better competition. Oklahoma is one of those teams I mentioned. They haven't really played much of anybody with a pulse. They played Texas Tech this past weekend, but their starting quarterback was out. Uh, Alan Bowman was out. Uh, again, man, he's missed a bunch of games the past couple of years. So I, I don't know how much you can read into that. They did play Houston with, with De'Eric King, who's, who's an explosive quarterback. So I think they've improved defensively along with what Jalen Hurts is doing. I think he had like 380 yards or like three over 300 yards in the first half passing last week, ended up with over 400 yards passing. The guy is, is might be the Heisman frontrunner right now. Um, they're plus 1,002 yards on the year. So I got Oklahoma coming number five, Clemson at six. I got Wisconsin at seven, and they dominated every opponent, like destroyed people until Saturday when they got outgained by a one in three Northwestern team 
who was playing with a third-string quarterback most of that game. So I probably would have had Wisconsin a little higher before Saturday. I watched pretty much all of that game against Northwestern, and they were they were certainly underwhelming. It's a very different story when you watch them against Michigan the week before, which we watched, and then you watch them against Northwestern. It's a totally different team. So that kind of that kind of knocked them down a couple notches for me. But they defensively they've been crazy good. We know they run the ball really well. They've only given up 769 total yards in four games, and that's they're number one in the country by a pretty wide margin there. But I still don't trust Cone at quarterback. Jonathan Taylor is outstanding at, at running back. We all know that. They have a big, strong offensive line that would rival our offensive line. But I think the difference between us and Wisconsin is our quarterback situation is far superior to what they have. But they've been really good this year. Uh, Penn State got coming in at number eight. And this is a new entry. I did not have Penn State really anywhere near my top ten until what they did to Maryland over the weekend. I was really underwhelmed by their performance against Pitt at home. But I was just – blown away by what they did to Maryland on Friday. And maybe I shouldn't have been because maybe Maryland's not that good, but Maryland's a weird team. Like they were killing people. I mean, they, they had like 40 point victory over uh, Syracuse when people thought Syracuse was pretty good, but maybe Syracuse just isn't that good. But then Maryland followed that up with uh, a dud against Temple, losing on the road to Temple. And then what was it? 59, nothing got shut out, out at home on primetime uh, on Friday night, just got, it was a blackout game, and they got blacked out, man. I think it was like 59, nothing, something like that. I watched pretty much all that game to the very end. I was like, I got to I gotta go to bed. I'm done watching this. But Penn State looked really, really good. I still have questions on Sean Clifford at quarterback. But, again, on Friday, he looked very different than what I would seen from him at any point this year. And they're very good defensively. Gross Matos and, and Parsons on defense there give them an elite duo. And they're plus 940 yards on the season now for that destruction of Maryland. So they kind of broke into my top 10 there. Then I got Auburn coming in at number nine. And I'm open to the idea of Auburn moving up, especially after what they did to Mississippi State, because that was a dominant performance against Mississippi State. But I just don't think Mississippi State's all that good. They lost to an okay Kansas State team at home a couple weeks ago. And for me, like that was the first time we've seen Auburn do that. They haven't really dominated anybody other than Mississippi State. So is that game against Mississippi State, was that the anomaly? Or is that maybe now a sign they've turned their corner? We're going to find out really quick. We'll probably find out this weekend against Florida. And I would say that Auburn, they have a championship caliber front seven on defense. But what is this offense right now? They they go for 299 to AM, only 383 versus Oregon, 379 at home against Tulane. And then they somehow put up 580 yards against state. They, they average 164 yards passing through the first four games. And they go for and then Knicks puts up 361 in the air against Mississippi State. So is that who they are? Or was that kind of just one of those free games where they just put up massive numbers? And that's kind of an anomaly that doesn't really characterize what this team is. We're gonna find out. We've got more to watch here, but I got them at number nine, but again, I'm open to them moving up a little higher if they can do what they did on Saturday a little bit more consistently. And I got Notre Dame coming in at number 10. I think Notre Dame is a good, solid top 10 football team. I don't know if I would put them much higher than that. We should have beaten them more than we did, and we have we had opportunities, but still, I think it's a good, solid top 10 team. They'll probably finish 11-1, 10-2. So a little bit different than you there, Kerr. And again, like I don't feel confident really in any of these because we have such few data points to operate off of, but through – through five weeks, that's why I got to go Ohio State 1, Georgia, Bama, LSU 4, Oklahoma 5, Clemson 6, Wisconsin 7, Penn State 8, Auburn 9, Notre Dame 10. But all right, let's go ahead and get to our next question. And this one's uh, matching up Georgia against Ohio State. It's a good question, and this was a tough one for me to answer, Alex. But thanks for the question. Alex asked, pick them, Georgia or Ohio State, if the game was played today. Kurt, how would you see that one shaking out? 
Um, the one thing I think that plays in our favor is I think our defense is really equipped at not giving up the big plays, and that's honestly how you beat Ohio State. I, I, and I, I totally agree with you. Kirby's put an emphasis and a premium on basically eliminating big play opportunities. And and there's we do a pretty good – actually a really good job of that the vast majority of the time. There's a couple of times you have a communication issue where you give up a big play. We saw that against um, – who it wasn't against Arkansas State. It was against Murray State, right? But but those plays are few and far between. And you're right, Ohio State kind of feast off those big plays, run on the RPO stuff that they run. And they've been able to do that against inferior competition. But if they played us, uh, the competition the, – well, the, then Most the teams level. don't have the speed to spy on a quarterback. Absolutely. Well, they don't have – they don't, and they also don't have the secondary – to be able to take a guy out of coverage and spy a quarterback and still trust those guys, hold up a one-on-one and press man coverage. If we're healthy at corner, do you feel like we have those guys? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wouldn't be scared at all. Yeah. Uh, look, man, this is – God, this is a tough question. I'm going to kind of contradict myself here probably because I had Ohio State ranked one in Georgia too, uh, just based on the fact that Ohio State's been a little bit more dominant, although we have played a tougher schedule with Notre Dame on our schedule. But if I had to pick this today – that's what makes it tougher. If this game, if you, if Alex, you said this this game was going to be played like in the college football playoff, I feel like we would we would beat them. Uh, I would feel confident saying that because I think we're going to get a lot better between now and a potential college football playoff game, just like we had the past couple seasons. But if it was today, I, I think we're still a work in progress, which gives me some pause. Ohio State looks a little bit more polished right now than we do, especially offensively. Even though again they haven't played much of anybody, I think it depends on where it's played. So if it was a neutral site, would you still say we'd win, Kirk? Yeah, I would. I think that actually play into our favor more so than it would Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I will say this. If, it's a big if, if we would actually stop with this conservative junk offensively and play to the numbers, play to where we have advantages, take advantage of the matchups that our scheme presents, because that's the problem. Like We get mismatches offensively, but we're not taking advantage of them right now. We're just trying to be arrogant and just run it right at people, even if they have like a plus-two scenario in the box. So, but if we would stop that and actually play to our numbers advantages and play to the mismatches that we can create offensively with our scheme, I think we would win uh, Win late against Ohio State by wearing them down in the second half. I think you're right with a defensive speed to contain fields that the teams they've played so far just don't have. They just can't – it's not even just fields, but in their, all their skill players, especially Justin Fields. I mean, defensively, we have the speed and we have the depth to be able to match him, match up with those guys. I think we're like you mentioned. I think we're strong enough in the secondary secondary to contain KJ Hill and company guys like Ben Victor. I think we can match up on them in press man coverage most of the night. Uh, and I don't think that they can match our offensive line. They've been really good defensively right now. They're number two nationally in total defense. But again, they have not played anybody. Do we really know what this Ohio State defense is? I don't know that we do. And I think our offensive line uh, could take it to them. And look, we would have some issues in the first half, but that's kind of what we do. We just keep grinding and grinding and grinding and wear them down. I don't know if they have the depth defensively. To match it, we'd be able to bring it them all four quarters. I think we'd wear them down and, and win one late. I know, that again, that totally contradicts why I said having them at number one. I think long-term, we are going to be the better team when you compare us to Ohio State. But I, I do think, at least offensively, they're maybe a little bit more polished. They're playing to their strengths more than we're playing right now. If we would play to our strengths and, and take advantage of the, of the mismatches that we create, I would feel a lot better about picking us. Um, but yeah, sure, why not? Let's go Let's go, Georgia in a, in a close one. I think we just have uh, more talent in the trenches and be able to to eventually take over that game late. Uh, but all right, let's go to the next question. This is from Jamil. So I told Jamil had a couple questions early on. Here's question number two. 
Uh, Jamil asks, coming off the bye week, what's one thing you want to see Georgia do better on offense and one thing you want to see Georgia do better on defense? Chris, let's start offensively. What's one thing you want to see us do better? I think it's as simple as attacking the downfield. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have to agree with you there. I would go maybe a little bit more specific, and I would say, yes, attack downhill for sure. I would say just kind of what I was saying in that last question, take advantage of the matchup issues that we create schematically. The scheme that we run, it might not be as sexy and as explosive consistently. We might not, might not run with as much tempo and run as many plays and put up as many points as some of these other spread offenses do. But we create some serious matchup issues that we just, for whatever reason, have been reluctant to take advantage of. Whether it Maybe it's because we don't have confidence in our wide receivers right now. We don't trust them. And when we get into a big game situation, we want to go with what we have faith in. And that's the ground game, offensive line, running backs. But when you have Jake Fromm back there, and you create mismatches in the passing game with what we do schematically, running a lot of 12 personnel and, and things of that nature, we've got to be able to take advantage of that. And I really look for us to start doing a better job. Of that. At least I hope we will. I mean, at this point, I'm almost given up on it because it's been a year plus now that we. I feel like we just haven't done this consistently enough. But I'm hopeful maybe after a bye week that we come out of that feeling like, you know what, if we want it, maybe that Notre Dame was kind of a wake-up call. We, and I think our coaches know we should have beaten them worse than we did. And maybe control that game a little bit more. I mean, Kirby um, even said it in the post game press conference, and he doesn't admit that often. Oh yeah, he said we got to we got to let Jake do his thing. Um, and I I hope that's just not hollow words, you know. But we'll we'll see we'll see. What about defensively? What do you think we need to improve on coming out of the bye week? Um, I still think you got to work on havoc rate. I mean, hopefully you're healthy enough to where you can uh, continue to do so. I think that was one thing that really hurt us in Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have to continue to work to get after the quarterback. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to kind of piggyback on that. I think tackling is one thing that we, that continues to be a work in progress for us defensively. We have all the talent we need, all the athleticism we need, but with how practice is structured these days in modern college football during the season, most coaches will be open with you about, they just don't tackle to the ground. They just don't. So when you get in the game, I know we want to rip these guys when they're trying to hit somebody and they're falling off of them, but that's the first time they're hitting since last Saturday. Right, or at least the first time they're actually t- tackling the ground. So that's a frustration for me, and I wish there was some way that we could figure out a, a way to kind of simulate the tackling process without having our guys have to go to the ground and, and be exposed to uh, potential injuries. But that's, that is one thing I think you're going to have to get used to in college football. You see it week in and week out, game in and game out. People just can't tackle anymore, and, and we certainly had our issues there. Uh, but piggybacking what you said there, I'll, I'll piggyback off what you said with the pass rush situation. I'm going to go um, specifically with the defensive line here. I'm gonna, I want to see our interior defensive line. Let's just say our front four. I want to see them convert from rush defense, run defense, to pass rush m- more effectively. I think we obviously we play – those guys are, are playing, especially in the interior, they're playing the run first and foremost. But when we read that it is a pass, we've got to do a better job of converting to pass rush. We don't do that quickly enough. And I think that's one of the things that has hurt us in terms of our havoc rate is we're getting pressure off the edges. Sure. But the quarterback should be able to step up and kind of escape that because we're not getting the pass rush from the interior. We did the first game. I thought we did a really good job against Vanderbilt in, uh, in week one with guys like Devontae Wyatt and Tyler Clark kind of pushing that pocket, but we haven't seen as much of it since that point. So I want to see us do a better job of converting that pass rush on the interior spots and the defensive line. Cause I think if we do that, our havoc rate numbers will certainly start to increase even more so than what we've seen from uh, to this point based off where we were last year uh, all right next up we got a question from my man reggie always appreciate it reggie reggie says hey guys what do you think the biggest change will be coming off the bye? so it's kind of related to what jamil was asking 
I'm expecting more to be put in Jake Fromm's hands offensively. I think the staff should trust him enough now to be even more balanced. And I think that will make our run game even more effective. So, Kurt, you you talked about how you want us to push the ball down the field. I think Reggie's kind of alluding to that. But how confident are you that that's actually going to happen? I know you, you mentioned you're right. Kirby mentioned it in the postgame press conference. Now he's had two weeks to kind of chew on it. Is he going to walk that back? Or do you truly expect us to kind of go forward with that and start opening the offense up a little bit more? I think he may go forward with it. And I think the only reason I really say that is because, like you mentioned earlier, our coaches know we should have beaten Notre Dame by a lot more than what we did. Um, And we were in, we were, we found ourselves in a situation where we had to come up with a big fourth down stop to prevent them from, you know, scoring a go ahead touchdown. Um, I think that may have potentially put some fear in our coach's eyes saying we had a team that we should have been running all over. We should have been scored a lot more on them, but we didn't. We put ourselves in a situation where we almost lost the game and Kirby has not had a great history of these type of situations. And, realistically at some point he's going to have to let the reins off because if not when it you're going to continue to find yourself in that because teams know what we want to do i agree with everything you said and i want to believe you i want that's to what i'm saying i want to believe it, it because realistically i mean notre dame was inferior on the defensive line and yet they still contained us for the most part that shouldn't happen because they had nine guys in the box at times and eight, or eight guys we've got six guys nine guys we've got seven guys we're not going to consistently win that because those guys are coming free they're unblocked Mathematically, you can't win that, not consistently. And there's ways to, to loose that up, right? Yeah. But we just seem – and I, I can't figure it out. We're so reluctant to do it. And I think part of it is – and Kirby's alluded to this at times. I think part of our not, – not I think. I know a big part of our strategy offensively is to – even if we're not running with a with great effectiveness in the first half, to just pound on those teams, pound on them. And we think by the time we get to the second half that we have superior depth, and we have superior talent. Those guys are going to be worn out, and we're just going to gash them. Think about in, in Kentucky last year as a case of point. Like we controlled that game in the first half, but we weren't necessarily breaking off the large chunks in the ground game until the second half because by the time we got to the second half, it's just body blow after body blow after body blow, and they just couldn't hold up to it. And then that's when DeAndre Swift started breaking off those those saw long. Saw against Florida last year. Yeah, exactly. We saw it against Florida last year. We saw we saw a number of games. We saw it against South Carolina last year as well in that second half. Uh, and so that strategy does work. But I, I love what Reggie said. Reggie, I think you made a great point. I've been trying to make this point for a year plus now. If we would just throw the – I'm not talking about throwing the ball 40 times a game, but if we would just be open to the concept of taking a couple more shots down the field and taking advantage of the mismatches that we create. Curtis, does that not make the run game more effective? It does. And you, like, you don't have to throw a deep ball every time, but get the ball in Jake's hands. Just I mean, he has been most successful realistically when we run a spread. Oh, I mean, it, I mean, it's been pretty well documented. When we get in the two-minute offense, when he's actually allowed to run with some pace and just hurry up and just and gotta get into that rhythm, the guy's lethal. He is. And, but but Kirby, like we don't we don't want to do that full time because we look at what we and Kirby is an old defensive guy. He doesn't want his defense to be on the field that much. I think that's part of why we still run what we run. Um, it's just his defensive roots. And then when you look at how we've recruited from the personnel, we've recruited that to that scheme. And we've recruited the offensive line better than anybody in America. We've recruited the running back position better than anybody in America. So now when you look at the personnel, we always say as, as a coach, you want to you wanna fit your scheme around your personnel, right? Yeah. So I get why we do what we do with the personnel that we have, but it doesn't mean 
that we can't throw the ball down the field more than we do. It doesn't mean that we can't take more play action shots. I think the number, uh, I think pro football focused that number. I think it's like just a little over 20% of the time uh, that we've gone play action on offensive snaps. Like we're not, we're not running play action shot. We're not taking play action shots near as much as we should with how effectively we run the football with how we run the football. The fact that we only take play action shots, 20% of our passes. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. It should be closer to 40% of the time. Cause again, that is, those are the matchups that we create with what we do schematically. And we've got to take advantage of that. So I want to believe it. Uh, I think Kirby wants to, but I think when we get into crunch time, he just goes back to what he trusts and what he wants to lean on. That's the run game. And that's frust- That's frustrating to me because I think it will make the run game more effective because it's going to loosen up the box. We'll have less guys in there, and we'll be able to run the ball more effectively. That's one of the reasons I want us to, to run the ball out of spread looks more because there's it loosens up the box just by spreading them out from, from a formational perspective. And then you have our guys, you, know, you might have six guys in the box. We've got six offensive linemen. We're going to win those matchups 90-plus percent of the time. Sometimes it frustrates me that we go with 12 personnel and get the box loaded up and then just try to run right into the mass of humanity. So I would like to believe, I want to believe it, but I've been wanting to believe it for a couple of years now, and we haven't seen it. So maybe maybe that was the wake-up call, like you were saying, or maybe it was. I hope to God it was, because if we want to win a national title, I do think we need to open up a little bit and, and take more shots on the field to lose up the run game and hit some of those big shots vertically down the field. Because I think we have the playmakers to do it at the receiver position. Yeah, they're young and inexperienced, but we got the guys that can make plays, and we got a quarterback in Jake Fromm that we might not have after this year. We've got to take advantage of what this guy can do for us. We just got to. I think there's there's a there's a happy medium somewhere between running the football almost every single down and putting the ball in Jake Fromm's hand and letting him do some things down the field. But all right, next up we got a question from Adam. Um, and I'm, I'm going to throw Adam's question here, but we kind of just talked about it. Adam's asked, compared to what we saw against Notre Dame, should we expect to see a different offensive scheme in future big games? We just basically answered that. So Adam, I'm sorry, man. I want to throw your question before. I just totally missed that. But I did want to at least uh, give you some props for asking a great question there. All right, next up, another kind of ranking question. This one's from Peter. Thanks for the question, Peter. Peter says, I know you guys re-ranked the games on the schedule after week one, but now with a few more weeks under our belt and Notre Dame out of the way, how would you rank the three toughest games left on our schedule? Kurt, looking down um, the road here, what would you? how would you rank the top three most difficult games left on our schedule? I, mean, I think you go with Auburn one. I'm going to go with Florida two. And three, I'm actually going to go with, I think, Mizzou. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree. Are, Mizzou's our trap game. 100%. That's actually why. I, I actually have Missouri as the second toughest game left on the schedule. Because, because in between Florida and Auburn. Yep. It, it's just that letdown spot. I mean, how could it not be? I mean, you can say, you know, you know, hey, guys, you be ready for every single game. You got to play to your standard. That's great. You can say that, but – it's not always reality. We see, I mean, we saw how last week Wisconsin, I mentioned them earlier. They beat the holy hell out of, out of Michigan at home, and then they play Northwestern at home, who is terrible, and they get outgained by a horrible Northwestern team right now. It's a horrible Northwestern offense with a third-string quarterback. It, it happens. It, you have these trap games and these letdown situations. So I'm with you. I got Auburn number one, especially with the fact that it's on the road. Auburn's looking better and better each and every week. And I think by the time we play them in November – that offense could be a different animal than what it is right now. Bo Nix could he, – he's not going to be – let's just say he's not going to be a freshman anymore. That guy's going to have plenty of football under his belt, and that's going to be a very difficult game. And I actually had that ranked number one coming into the season, and that's looking more and more to be accurate with each and every week. And then I got Missouri at number two ahead of Florida. Part of that is I, I still don't tr- – I mean, with the quarterback situation at Florida, I still don't know quite what to make of Kyle Trask. 
Okay, yeah, he came in, did a solid job against Kentucky. Kentucky's not very good. They were playing a soft zone that entire fourth quarter. Let him just complete short pass with a short pass. Then you got a baby seal last week. He looked good against Tennessee, but it's it's Tennessee at home. Tennessee's got issues right now. So I, I but he very well could end up being an upgrade, especially as a passer over Felipe Franks. I'm very open to that idea. I, but we'll see. I still think it's a small sample size right now. I think he's another guy that we'll learn a lot more about after this week when they when uh when the War Eagle slash Tigers slash whoever come into Gainesville to play Florida. Uh, but I think Missouri, this is a team that people kind of wrote off after that opening week loss to Wyoming on the road. And I, I think that's a mistake. I, I actually watched that whole game pretty much uh, after I got back from our game at Vanderbilt. And they they dominated that first half. They made a couple of dumb mistakes inside the red zone, threw an interception in the end zone, uh, fumbled up the one-yard line, had another fumble that I think I believe was returned for a touchdown, if I remember correctly. And they they were the better team that game. They just screwed up and blew that game. And that's all in them. They blew it. But that is a pretty good football team. I don't think they're going to lose again by the time we play them. I really don't. They're number one in the SEC right now in total defense, guys, and in yards per play. They're giving them only 231 yards a game and only 3.76 yards per play. That Missouri defense, I'm not sure if I'm ready to say they're for real yet because the, the competition hasn't been great. Probably the best team they played is South Carolina, probably. So it hasn't been great competition. But they've done a really good job against inferior competition. And the thing was, they haven't been playing that well defensively against inferior competition the past couple years. But they're doing it this year. So that Missouri defense might be back after a couple years of being really down. Because remember, they first came in the league, that defense was their calling card. But it, they took a couple years off, and they just been they had not been very good, haven't had the pass rushers. But it, they look to be at least much improved uh, defensively this year. And Kelly Bryant gives them stability at the quarterback position. They do have some playmakers out wide into the running back position, Larry Roundtree, Knox, uh, Johnson. They got a couple playmakers there. So in the fact that it is, like you said, sandwiched between Auburn and Florida, that is just a classic letdown trap game, and they could very well come into that game with a, sh- a, a serious shot to win the SEC East because I just don't know if they're going to lose between now and then. I don't know. So I got Missouri coming in at number two, and I got Florida at three. I think Florida has some holes. They don't run the ball very well right now. They have some good playmakers at receiver but I still have some questions about the quarterback position, the offensive line, and, and pass protection is an issue, and Trask is not as mobile as Franks was. Defensively, they have a pretty solid starting 11, but I don't think they have a ton of depth. I think you can run the ball in that defense. I think the offensive line is a major mismatch for them up front. So I think Missouri right now, and I know it's a home, but I'm going to go Missouri being the second toughest game behind Auburn. All right, next I've got a, cl- a question from our man Cliff. Cliff asks, do you think the days of playing down to the competition are over? Will Georgia take Tennessee seriously like they should and take care of them quickly, or will there be a war for four quarters? With a bye week, there is no excuse for not showing up. Um, I think, honestly, you've seen it from Kirby especially. I, um, I think he wants to try to – I mean, this is one of his staples, especially in a team like Tennessee. Um, you don't want to give them any hope. You want to take the crowd out of it as soon as you can and break their will as soon as you can. Yeah, I, I, I know that we're – kind of the prisoner of the moment right now with how that Notre Dame went, game went down and how we should have beaten them worse than we did, but we only stuck out of there with a six-point victory. But if you look at the past two years, 2017 and 2018, we have flat-out dominated SEC East opponents, right? I mean, it hasn't even been close. Now, it's the Western teams that we've had issues with, well, well when we play them on the road, whether it's Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, go back to 2016. I know that's a year before we started our run, but th- that's where we've had issues. But we have flat-out dominated SEC East competition over the past couple of years. 
I did the math, and in our last 13 games against SEC East competition, dating back to 2017, so this is our six SEC East games in 2017, our six games last year, and then our one game against Vanderbilt this year, we have outscored our SEC East opponents over the last two years in one game by a total score of 510 to 183. If you average that out, that's an average score of 39 to 14. So we're beating our SEC competition on average by 25 points a game over the last two plus years. So I don't really necessarily think that we've been playing down to competition over the past years. And I, I don't think that we're going to play down to Tennessee. Tennessee's going to be up for that game. They're coming off the bye week. They're, they might make some changes. And sure, Jim Chaney knows our personnel offensively pretty well, knows what we like to do defensively. He's got some familiarity there. But in Knoxville's a tough place to play. But I don't necessarily think this is going to be a war for four quarters. Kurt, would you say if this game was a war for four quarters, should we be concerned? Uh, yeah, we have other problems. Yeah, that we're gonna, we're, there's going to be some serious issues if this game's a war for four quarters. And then they might come out hot early on. But if it's late in the fourth quarter, you know, four or five minutes ago, and, and it's a tight game, then I think the hand-wringing over wh- who we are, that would be justified. I talked about how I think it's a little bit of an overreaction to the Notre Dame game and kind of how that went down. But if that happens at Tennessee, yeah, that uh, that would be – I think it would be justified at that point. There's no doubt about that. So you're right, Cliff. I, I think with the bye week, there's no excuse for not showing up. I don't think that's really been a problem against SEC's competition, whether it's been at home or on the road the past couple of years under Kirby Smart. And speaking of the game against Tennessee, if you guys are still looking for tickets for this weekend's game, we want to try to bring as many dog fans to that stadium as humanly possible. We want to take over another stadium. So if you're thinking about making the trip, check out Vivid Seats today. If you are a new customer using their mobile app, you can get up to $100 off. It's your go-to spot for tickets for this weekend's game against Tennessee or any other George game the rest of the year. So again, if you're a new customer looking for a great ticket buying experience and looking to get a little bit of a discount, Vivid Seats is your place to go. All right, next up, we got a, a question from Jay Campbell. He asks, uh, with Bama jumping up to number one and Ohio State up to number four this week in the AP poll, it's clear style points matter. Why do you think Kirby Smart doesn't agree? His mentor Saban clearly gets it. And Kurt, on part one, we had a similar question that kind of answered. So I'm going to let you take this one. Why, why do you think that – well, first off, do you think that style points matter in college football? Um, I mean, they do for the most part. But, I mean, think of last year. Ohio State beat the heck out of almost everyone. They even beat the heck out of Michigan, yet still didn't get in. But they had that horrific loss to Purdue. Exactly. That, that I mean, of, sometimes your style points only get you so far. Yeah. I think style points matter if you don't have a, a – horrible loss in your schedule. And that's what that was the problem with Ohio State the past couple years and last year especially. Like, it wasn't the fact they lost to Purdue. It was the fact they got blown out by a very average Purdue team. Like that that can't happen. It's hard to overcome that. I think I think it depends on the on the season, right? Like in, in the yeah. situation at the end of the year, do you have like five or six one loss teams all bunched up there together? Which might be the case this year because I don't know if there's a true alpha team right now through five weeks, as I said earlier. So if they're all, if you have like four or five, six teams that have one loss, all kind of bunched up there, and they all have conference titles. Let's say you got Georgia, you got Ohio State, you got uh, Clemson. Let's say you've got, uh, let's say maybe Oregon. All those teams with one loss. Let's say Alabama's got sitting there with one loss. Uh, maybe LSU sitting there with one loss. All those teams with one loss. I mean that that's a possibility at the end of the year. How do you differentiate between those teams? And I think at some point for some of those voters. 
in the college playoff committee, it's going to come down to style points. Like how much did you dominate? And that's one, like game control is one of the statistical measures they use to rank teams in the college football playoff. So I think it does matter. Uh, some years it will matter more than others. Some years it's pretty clear cut, but depending on the situation, it could matter a whole lot. So why do you think Kirk? Cause I mean, Kirby, I, I agree with Jay Campbell here. I don't think, I think Kirby actively tries to not run the score up more than he could. Why do you think he does that? Um, honestly, I don't know. Um, sometimes I've tried to figure it out. Um, because Saban will do it. Saban runs the score if he doesn't care. Yeah. He's right about that. He will. But Saban's. All, I mean, it's gonna happen uh, eventually where a player's gonna get hurt having your studs in there in the fourth quarter. So maybe that's part of it, especially with a guy like Jay Fromm and our backup quarterback situation. Uh, but I mean, we we saw a game last year at South Carolina. Like like we took our stars out about halfway through the third quarter, and we didn't even tr- like we could have scored sixty plus on that South Carolina team, but we didn't even try to score after about midway through the third quarter in that game. And I think that has to do with Kirby's relationship with some of these other coaches in the league. I think, like especially with Muschamp, he's never going to try to blow Muschamp. I don't know if he can avoid it. Um, but I think other coaches as well. He might not be as close to them as he is with Muschamp. But I think the fact that he has a lot of respect for his colleagues and he, like he does, if he, I don't think he, I think he was like, you know, I don't, I would not want that to ever happen to me if I was in that situation. Like I said on the show earlier in the week, hopefully we'll never, we're never in that situation. But I think Kirby tries to have respect for those guys. I don't think he wants to make their lives any more difficult than he already does by beating them so i think he wants to beat them soundly but doesn't necessarily care about running the score up too much i think he sees that as kind of like an unsportsmanlike thing to do but i think in this day and age of college football when, you, when only four teams get in the college football playoff you got to do what's best for the university of georgia and sometimes what's best for the university of georgia is beating the holy hell out of other teams and we we beat teams comfortably but we certainly do not try to put on you know to run the score put as many points up as we can as a lot of other teams out there like ohio state try to do on a week in week out basis so I know it's a tough thing is you, you want to be a good dude, but you also you're paid, you know, millions, and millions of dollars a year to get us in the cultural playoff. I think you got to do what it takes to get us there. All right. Next up, we got a question from Lynn. So if you guys haven't seen it already, the South Carolina game, as I predicted uh, in part one of the mailbag show on Sunday night is going to be a noon game here in Athens. Lynn wants to look forward to the following week. What is your guess for the Kentucky game time? Another nooner? I remember your off-season podcast guessing all the game times, but I wondered your thoughts now. So, Kurt, look ahead to, what is that, the week week eight schedule? Where do you think the Kentucky game will end up? I'll say the night game because somehow Kentucky always plays at night. I've never seen them play during the day this year. They play a lot on the SEC Network primetime game, you know? Yeah, how does Kentucky and Arkansas get a primetime night game? It's almost like they try to spread that around. Like they want to send the SEC Nation primetime crew to all these different locations. Like honestly, it used to be very easy to predict the games, but now with the SEC Network and the ACC Network and all the different relationships I mean, that ESPN it just, has, it blows my mind. I mean, South Carolina Georgia is such a better game. Kentucky's played Florida at night. They played South Carolina at night. Like I don't get it. But I, the way ESPN sees it, they see the twelve o'clock spot on ESPN, the mothership as a better spot than a 730 SEC network game because there's more eyes on ESPN. Well, then I'll say I think our administration has failed us. Well, there's a state, you know, Saban was making all that, all he was crying foul about how Alabama's played all these games uh, during the day. Yeah, but Alabama was playing a note sister of the pool. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it was the, the Feinbaum show that like pulled up, I think since like 2014, which SEC team has played the most day games. And it was us like by a pretty wide margin. So, yeah, that's – you know Kirby isn't like that for, for recruiting purposes. It's hard for guys to get up there at noon. It's not as good of an environment. There's no doubt there. 
Uh, but if you're looking at that week eight schedule, there's no, it's just a tough one because there's no obvious like headlining game. It's going to be a 3-30 game. I would say LSU, Mississippi State, or maybe Florida, South Carolina, maybe Alabama, Tennessee, with Alabama's brand name being the CBS game and that rivalry, all the Tennessee's, God, it's going to be a bloodbath. So I would say we're probably going to be, if I had to predict, I would probably say either 7 o'clock on ESPN2 or 7.30 SEC Network. I don't think we'll have two noon games back-to-back at home. But we've seen it before. It's happened. I can't put it outside the realm of possibility. But I would go probably a 7.30 SEC Network or 7 o'clock ESPN2. So, yeah, I'll predict a night game. But we've seen plenty of day games here in Athens before. We might see another one. But, uh, all right, last question here. This is from Georgia Bulldogs UK. Kind of off the beaten path here, but it's a good question. Interesting question. He asked, with the NFL's international series and Notre Dame playing Navy in Dublin next year, do you envision more college teams taking games outside America? Kurt, do you ever see a world where Georgia could play a game outside the United States? Heck no, because you're, it just messes everything up. You see it in the NFL, so why can't you see it at the college level? Well, first off, the NFL has a, I mean. Money. Yeah. And Notre Dame, it's, you know, they've got a, kind of the built-in fan base over there in Ireland anyway. Um, Georgia Tech did this a couple years ago. Was that against Notre Dame? Or who was that against? Yeah, they played. No, Tech in Boston College wasn't. Was it Boston College? Okay, yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Um, But you also got to factor in. I don't know if the NCAA would ever be that big into expanding more than it already does, than it already is right now, because it's the whole scholar athlete argument, right? Yeah. You're having these guys fly overseas and back. Like, how is that good for them academically? When and, and they try to make this argument that they're amateur athletes. Well, how can you really make the argument if you have them go overseas? And really, why, why would you have them go overseas? I guess you could say to expand the brand, but at the end of the day, that all comes down to making more money for the NCAA. So it'd be really hard for them to like. It's already hard for them to do what they do and say with a straight face. Oh, it's all about amateurism. We're really student athletes. But if you start taking games overseas, I think it'd be even more difficult for them to make that argument. And they're under fire right now with this California state law to profit off their image and likeness. I don't think the NCAA. I don't think they would ever prohibit it, but I certainly don't think that they would promote that. And I just don't know if like. How many teams would have a a real like following over there in Europe right now? The NFL is a different animal. College is more – college football is more provincial. It's more regionalized. So I just don't know if it would be as much of a, a hit overseas as the NFL. Well, Notre Dame is a different story because of their tie-ins, obviously. But uh, All right, guys. That is a wrap on the Week 6 Mailbag. If you got more questions, if you didn't get them in in time for the Mailbag – Hit us up anyway on Twitter at glory underscore UGA or email gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to answer each and every question that comes our way, even if it's a little bit after the mailbag. No worries there. But we will be back later in the week. Curtis will be back for our official Tennessee game preview. And then Charlie and a guest host will be back on Friday for our week six picks of the week episode. So make sure to check back in. Got plenty of great stuff for you guys the rest of the week. But for Curtis... I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.